We're turning tonight to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24. We're going to read from the verse 10. Acts chapter 24. We'll read from verse 10. We're reading, of course, from the authorized version. Acts chapter 24, verse 10. Let's hear the word of God. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hoped towards God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they have aught against me, or else let these same here say, if they found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried, standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener, and communed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul down. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 
24, verses 24 right through to verse 26. And I've entitled the message, Paul's Faithful Preaching and Felix's Procrastinating. See, after Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and put into prison on the orders of the chief captain of the Roman army there, a man called Lysias, that night the Lord stood by Paul and said unto Paul, These words, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. The next day, Paul's sister's son overheard of a plot of 40 Jews to kill Paul. He visited the apostle in the prison house, told him what he had heard. The apostle Paul called one of the centurions and asked him to take him to the chief captain. And after the boy told Lysias of the plot to kill Paul, uh, the very next day, by 40 Jews lying in wait, Lysias instructed his officers to take Paul from Jerusalem that night to Caesarea. You can read about that in Acts chapter 23, verses 23 and verse 24. And he wrote an accompanying letter, which you can read in Acts 23, verse 25, right through to verse 30. And the letter was to Felix the governor. Now, while Paul was in Caesarea, in the custody of Felix, the Roman governor, housed in Herod's judgment hall in Caesarea, this Roman governor decided one day to send for Paul and hear him concerning the faith. And that day, the apostle Paul stood before this Roman governor. Now, this Roman governor had Paul's life in his hands. And Paul preached before him the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I believe it was a wonderful opportunity for Paul to preach the gospel to a very wicked man and a very wicked woman. Paul didn't shy away from that opportunity. He didn't run from it. He seized upon it. He took a stand for Christ and what did he preach? Well, it verse tells us in verse 25, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. Get this picture. As Paul preached faithfully the gospel, Felix trembled physically, mentally. He was disturbed emotionally. And yet we read his response. Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. And after two years, Felix the governor was replaced by Governor Festus. And Felix, willing to please the Jews, left Paul bound in Herod's judgment hall. We read that in verse 27. But after two years, uh, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. In other words, this man was a lover of money. He was also a man-pleaser. And as I thought of this story again in the Bible, having read it in uh, daily Bible readings, I thought, Lord, there's lessons here that we can learn. I wrote down four lessons on a piece of paper, and here they are. The person that Felix encountered. 
Look at verse 24. It says, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith. That's a reference to Felix. He sent for Paul. And he did it very strategically because he wanted to hear him concerning the faith in Christ. See, the character that day before whom Paul preached was Felix. And I want to put it to you tonight that Felix was the most powerful man at that time in the land of Judah under the Roman emperor. He acted as a personal agent for the Roman Empire. He was responsible for taxation, setting the rate, for the raising of tribute, the levies, certain individuals. He needed money to run the province, to fund the extensive road system, the construction work, the transportation of goods, funds to run the military, funds for the coffers of Rome. See, Felix was the most powerful man in the land of Judea at that time. And he was heavily involved in a very large taxation, large-scale building program. He was also the Lord Chief Justice in the land. Remember what Paul says in Acts 23, Acts 24, verse 10, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation. He had the right to rule on the use of capital punishment. He could try cases before him. He ruled with fear. His word was law. He possessed endless power. And he had all the military might of Rome under his command in Judea. I'll tell you something else about this man. He was also a most perverted man. He was a wicked, godless individual. And if we read the historians, the Jewish historian, the Roman historian, Josephus, Flacius, for example, Felix had a personal bodyguard known as the Dagger Man. And they acted like personal assassins. And Felix sought to murder anyone that posed a threat to him and his lifestyle. Didn't matter if they were Roman, Jewish, bond or free. Historians also tell us that he was married three times. Drusilla, which is mentioned here, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess. She was actually his second wife. His first wife was called Drusilla. Must have been fond of Drusillas, but she was a Greek. And he divorced her, and he divorced her, and he married again, this time the daughter of Herod Agrippa. And Drusilla the daughter of Herod the Grippa was supposed to be the most beautiful woman in all of Palestine at that time. I believe he married for popularity, probably married for political gain and advantage. Historians tell us he was a very sensual man, unprincipled in morality and decency and, and immorality. And the historians cite many stories of acts of murder and acts of bribery and acts of adultery all under this man. You see, if you look at verse 26, you get a little glimpse into his heart and mind. He sent for Paul oftener. He communed with him. 
Let's have a wee chat, Paul. Why? Look at verse 26. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul. In other words, he was a lover of money. He took bribes. Do you know, Paul, I would love to let you go. If we had a little sweetener here, maybe some of your fellow compatriots could come and bring a wee brown envelope and, or maybe some other means and possess it to me. I could let you go, leave the prison door open. You could escape. Pants. And he preached the gospel unto him. As I've said, I believe this was a wonderful opportunity. And Paul did not shy away. He didn't say, no, I can't. No, I won't. He preached the gospel to Felix. How did he do it? In a weak way? In a wimpy kind of way? No, he reasoned of three things. Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. See, I believe Paul was faithful to declare the whole counsel of God to this very wicked, murderous, licentious kind of man. Even if it cost him his life. Do you know that Felix actually means lucky? We could say that Felix was a, a lucky man. He was lucky to have the greatest preacher in the world, the Apostle Paul, proclaim the gospel to him. Here's the person that he encountered. Notice, secondly, the preaching that was expounded. How did Paul conduct himself that day? How did he preach? Well, look at verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. You see, I believe that Paul preached powerfully that day. Paul was summoned, invited to address Felix, the Roman governor, and his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. A husband and wife team. A private audience. He didn't argue, well, you know what? It's not a good time. He didn't say, well, look, I've got no pulpit. He didn't say, well, you know what? I really don't feel well. I'm sort of kind of nervous today. Do you know, I'm too upset. You should put me in prison now for about near 12 days. And I'm too upset. I can't do it. You see, I believe the Apostle Paul felt a great responsibility to preach before God and man. And he didn't hold back. What was he asked to speak on? What was specific in Felix's request? To hear him concerning the faith in Christ. And Paul, by the help of the Spirit, rose to this occasion. And he stood as a faithful messenger. And we're told that he reasoned of three things. We'll come back to this. Righteousness, temperance, judgment to come. I want you to notice something, and this is important. He didn't preach election to him. He didn't preach predestination to him. He didn't preach about the future of Israel. He, he, he didn't preach about end time prophecy. Now, he could have. And I'm not saying that those things didn't come up at a later time. We're not told that in the scriptures. Paul was not being general here. He's been very specific. Felix and Drusilla wanted to hear him concerning the faith in Christ. And that's exactly what Paul preached. And he did so powerfully by the help of the Spirit. And that's the kind of preachers that we want and need today in Northern Ireland. He also preached, I believe, passionately. If you think of the word, and as he reasoned. You see, underline the word reasoned. That means that his heart and soul was fully engaged. 
He was not just communicating information and displaying a knowledge of um, certain languages and his knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures and his knowledge of church history. And he wasn't just bringing a few funny, tear-jerking stories. And there's nothing wrong with funny, tear-jerking stories. But that's not what Paul did. He did preach information. He did preach doctrine. But he did it in a very passionate, pointed way because he had an end goal in mind. He had a purpose. And here was his purpose that day, that the word of God would impact on the conscience of Felix. And again, that's the type of preachers that we need. Preachers that will preach the word of God that will impact on the consciousness of their hearers. See, Paul dealt with some great issues that day. He faced Felix. I've set it up, this wicked, hardened, godless individual. And we read what? By the time he finished on the central issues, Felix had trembled. You've got to think of a soul trembling under the power and passion of the word of God. See, I believe Paul was being very relevant. Here were the very issues that Felix needed to hear. And we need preachers that are relevant. I was so encouraged. I got a phone call from a dear lady in Wales. And she's maybe listening tonight. And we say hello and God bless you. You know exactly who you are. And she phoned me up. And this is what she said. If she was here, she would testify. And she said, is that the brethren pastor in Duff? I was so thrilled. She said 30 or 40 years ago, we heard that type of preaching. But we don't hear it now in Wales. I was so encouraged. He preached powerfully. He preached passionately. Notice he preached pointedly. He reasoned of three things. Righteousness, temperance, judgment to come. You see, here's the true faith that Paul expounded to Felix that day. First of all, he dealt with the subject of Felix's sin. The word righteousness means right living. We're not left in doubt or ignorance as to the subject of biblical righteousness. It's a great subject, a major subject in Paul's writings, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians. Paul would have told them that day that true righteousness is complete conformity to the standard that God has set. He would have explained that God's standard is an expression of the very nature and being of who God is. That that standard sets forth the demands that God makes upon all his creatures. That God's standard is holy and just and good and true and righteous. And that standard demands that we possess a pure, holy righteousness to be declared righteous in the sight of God. He would have added that there's not one righteous man or woman alive. He would have added that the whole world stands guilty before God. Romans 3, 10, 11. Romans 3, 19 and 20. And he would have pressed at home, Felix, you're not living right before God. You may be good and right in the eyes of others around you, among friends and family, but you're not right before God. And you need to set aside your notions of grandness and greatness. You've got many privileges. You've got much position. But you're shut into the law of a pure holy God. And your greatest need is God's righteousness. To be legally declared righteous before him. How is that possible? Here's a favorite subject of Paul. Therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Romans 5 and 1. How can a holy God justify a guilty, ungodly sinner? Jesus Christ, the answer. Only one righteous person ever lived. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Sent out on a mission of mercy. Came to bleed and die on behalf of sinners. But God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. For he that is God hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Sinless in his birth. Sinless in his life. Sinlessness in his obedience to the law of God. Sinless in his obedience to the law's penalty as he bore it on the tree. And in the ground of his blood. His blood became a wonderful covering and propitiation that satisfies the holy justice of God and expiates away his wrath. I can hear Paul pressing at home, Felix, do you realize you're a great sinner before this righteous holy God? And I point you to this great Savior in whom alone that you can stand righteous before this holy and great God. Can you get the picture? Reason of righteousness. He also dealt with Felix's slavery to sin. Look at the word temperance. You see, the word temperance has to do with self-control. Now, we think of temperance in Northern Ireland. We think of um, an orange lodge. We think of a temperance lodge. We think of alcohol and those that abstain for conscience and for testimony's sake. But it's more than that. It includes that. But it's more than that. The word temperance means self-control. But it's not just one area, it's loads of areas. In every area to do with lust and to do with greed. See, see, Paul's getting very near to the root of the matter here. Who's the woman that's beside him? Drusilla, his wife. But it's not really his wife in the sense of the law. Felix has no control over the lust of the flesh. He sees this beautiful woman. She's married to another, legally married, and he wants her. And he woos her away. He steals her affections to himself. Even though the law says, thou shalt not steal. He was guilty of the pride of life. He was guilty of the lust of the eyes. Felix was full of violent, passionate lusts. He was a physically violent man. Remember I told you he kept company of a gang of gangsters, the dagger men. But Felix also lacked complete self-control. He was a very untemperate man. He had no control of his passions, his lust. They, they run to excess and it affected the whole of his life. A man who stole wealth from others. A man who made many widows and left many orphans. And a moral man, as I've told you. Drusilla was the daughter of Herod Agrippa. She was famous for her beauty. She was the most beautiful woman in the West at that time. Not long married. Happy with her husband. And along comes Felix, he's the governor, and he draws her away from her husband, her legitimate husband. And here he is living a life of open adultery. And now comes Paul. He's sent for. He's raising of temperance. And he puts his finger on Felix's exact transgression. I'm not saying he nailed it exactly like John the Baptist. He may have, but he pointed out your lack of self-control, Felix. Your lack of moral self-restraint and purity. You're a passion and a slave to your sin. I'll tell you something else. He dealt with the sentence of sin. 
Look at the words here. And judgment to come. Do you get the picture? See, Felix was familiar with judgment. Remember, he's the chief judge in the whole land of the province of Judea at that time. And Paul is telling Felix that there's a day of reckoning to come. Let me point out something very important. The Roman Empire was deeply religious and it tolerated many religions. It never tolerated true Bible-believing religion. Folks who belonged to the way, that was a reference to the Christian followers of Christ. They, of course, rightly maintained that there was only one living and true God. There was only one way to that God through the sole mediator, Jesus Christ. For the Bible says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But the Roman Empire was full of men, even like the Roman governor, who were very superstitious. If they lost a battle, something bad happened, the gods are against us. If something good happened, the gods are for us. And they felt this need to placate whatever their gods were. They used certain rituals. They used to say to one another, God be with you, whatever your God was. And Paul saying to Felix, there's a day of reckoning coming. There's a, a day of judgment to come. When every word that you have uttered, every thought you have entertained, every deed that you have committed, you're going to give an account to the righteous judge. The Bible says that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And you see, you can see straight away. This wasn't a, a, a fad theory in the heart and mind of Paul. This was a, not an ear-tickling message. This was a message that was powerfully presented, passionately presented, that was pointedly presented. There was a relevance to it. Right living, intemperate, forgetting the judgments to come. There's a day of reckoning. This is not part of the problem with today. Preachers in the pulpit, and I put my own hands up. So often we don't really deal with the relevant issues. And what's the main issue? That men of precious and women, immortal souls and young people, and their greatest need is God's salvation. And they must be brought face to face with their sin. And they must be told of the subject of sin, that they're slaves to sin, and they're under sentence of death. Men are great sinners in need of a great saviour. And Paul concluded his message that day with judgment to come. I no doubt pressed home the reality of hell and the lake of fire. Felix is in the dock. He's shut into his sin. He's under its power. He's a slave to it. He, he's under the sentence. The soul that sinneth it shall die. There's the preaching that he experienced that day or the preaching that was expounded. Notice very quickly the phobia that Felix experienced. We read the two words here. Felix trembled, verse 25. What does that mean? It means that his heart and mind was gripped with fear. The apostle Paul hadn't missed and hit the wall. 
He presented the great truths of the gospel. He did so, I believe, wisely and yet very tactfully. But this was the message that Felix needed to hear. He touched a raw nerve. You're a sinner. You're a slave to sin. You're under sentence of death. I want to ask the question. Because this was a good moment in Felix's life. This was the moment when God's message came home to his soul. And had a powerful impact upon it. Let me ask this question. Have you ever trembled under the power of the word of God? Have you ever felt tearful? Have you ever felt a tug in your heart in life? And you told yourself before you left the meeting. You know you need to get right with God. You need to get saved. You need to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Has your conscience been aflame? So much so that you've trembled in a sense of fear. And you've realized the Lord is dealing with me. The Lord's at work. The Lord's drawn me to himself. The Lord has brought me face to face with life's reality. I'm left without an excuse now. I'm but a, a heartbeat from eternity. I'm a sinner. Got a soul. I need to be born again. I need to have Christ as my life and saviour. There's life after death. There's a judgment to come. Felix trembled. Do you know there's no suggestion here that Drusilla trembled. There's no hint that she was interested. Convinced or concerned. She was a Jew. No doubt religious. But she was content to have religion. But not regeneration. She was worse off than even Felix was. She never had this experience. And many in Northern Ireland tonight are very, very religious. And yet at the same time, strangely, are very, very sinful. And capable of the most wicked, heinous of crimes apart from the grace of God. Isn't it interesting that we read Felix trembled? But it didn't lead to a true turning to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It didn't lead to a true trusting in him alone for salvation. Felix trembled. And yet he didn't trust in Christ. He was never born again. He, he never got saved as far as we know. He had no true, genuine repentance or reception of Christ. Is that not a terrible tragedy? No deep sense of sin. No godly sorrow under repentance. You see, he wasn't actually ready to be saved. Do you know why? Because he still loved his sin. And that's why we as a church reject easy believism. Because an unbroken, unpenitent individual who is not truly sorry for his sin, well, they can't be saved. Because Jesus said, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. I told you about Drusilla. Do you know how she ended her life, young people? She left Caesarea. Caesarea is a beautiful place. You've got to think of Masada and the mountain there in that area. But she left Caesarea and she went away to Pompeii. And one of the mountains there erupted. And Drusilla, this most beautiful woman in all of the West, was encased in lava. And she died a figure of a burning hell. The phobia that Felix experienced. Lastly, let me just finish this. The procrastinating that Felix expressed. What did he say to Paul? Go thy way, for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call upon thee. 
was he doing? Was he not just making an excuse? The same excuse that thousands make. What's your excuse? Too young. It's not a good time. I've got my plans. I don't want to upset my dreams. I want to live. I want to live life to the max. You're not too young to come to Christ. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you think, but I'm too bad. He was a wicked man, a murderous man, a man who stole, an adulterer. And what was he told? He was told about right living, temperance, judgment to come. Listen to what the Isaiah the prophet said. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Maybe you say, well, I'm too busy. Wasn't this what Felix was saying? Convenient season. I've got too many demands. People need me. People are relying on me. I've got my business. I, I need to make money. I've, I've got the, the, the country to run. A convenient season. See, it was an excuse. And he was procrastinating. Let me tell you this story in closing. I've got two stories, but I'll just tell you one. In 1922, there was a ship bound for Calcutta in India. It set sail from Liverpool. It got a lot of individuals in it who were going off to find work. There was also a few missionaries on board, and they set sail. When the Lord's Day came, they asked permission from the captain to hold a service. Fellow passengers were invited. The gospel was preached. The preacher preached on the subject, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? There was a man on board, and he came to them afterwards, and he said, you know, I haven't heard a sermon like that from childhood. Sunday school days, and he mentioned a particular denomination, a particular church. And he was pressed about trusting Christ. And he said to this, to the missionary, well, well, not today. Not now at this time. You see, we're going to stop in a few ports. And I've got some business deals lined up. And I've got to socialize with certain individuals. And when I get to Calcutta, I've set up a shop. I've started my factory and I began to make some money. Then I'll trust Christ. Now in those days in 1922, you could have took disease upon a ship. You could also experience death at ship. And you could do that to this day. Well, this man fell ill. When the missionaries were sent for and read the Bible and prayed, they urged him to trust Christ. But he died whispering this from his lips a more convenient time see the great Christian writer Alexander Smelly said this there's two sworn enemies of the soul yesterday and tomorrow one slays its thousands and another its tens of thousands and you see when the day of opportunity slips past you, you trample that opportunity underfoot and it's gone and it's gone forever but what an opportunity of tomorrow. It may never come. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. And you'll have a missed opportunity. Live your life without Christ. And die in your sins. Go to this awful place called hell. Paul's faithful preaching. He preached to Felix and Drusilla. He presented the gospel 
in a very personal yet pointed, passionate way. Felix trembled, and yet he said, Go thy way. When I have a more convenient time, I will call on thee. He was making an excuse. What excuse are you making that's stopping you from coming and trusting in Christ? May the Lord apply his word in a very real and personal way and use it for his glory.